Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of On Death. It's a podcast to explore the oftentimes taboo topics of death, dying, and grief. We offer people a place to gather and listen to others around their experience with death and dying. We aim to encourage and support a healthy relationship with death and to move from a culture of mostly death denial to a community focused on living more alive. And as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Tom. How are you today, Tom? Doing wonderful. I'm really, really excited to introduce our guest for today. This is uh, Imam Soheb Sultan, and he is the first full-time Muslim life coordinator and chaplain at Princeton University. Not just that, he's also a well-established writer. He's written two books and published articles all over the place, all about Muslim culture, Muslim-Western relations. He is a beautiful heart and a beautiful soul. And not only that, but he's been studying with us uh, in the um, course run by the Rumi Center, A Year to Live. And he came into the course uh, actually with a real-life prognosis. And so he joins us today uh, as a man who is courageously living uh, with stage four cancer. And um, I'd love for for us to just start with um, a thank you. Thank you for for being here. Yeah, I feel so so blessed to uh, to have these these seconds, these minutes with you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, just out of my own curiosity, um, can you? Rem- I know you, that this this form of cancer that that you have it's very rare. I remember. And what what exactly is the is the cancer? Yeah. So first of all, greetings of peace and blessings, everyone. Mm-hmm. Assalamualaikum, and thank you so much, Matthew and Tom, for having me. And I feel really blessed to be with all of you uh, to discuss one of the deepest and most meaningful topics that we all experience, which is mortality and our existential crisis, only if we think of it as a crisis, but maybe existential opportunity is a better word. Mm. Um, and um, as uh, you know, Matthew and Tom said, my name is Soheb Sultan serve as the Muslim chaplain at Princeton University. And about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I was diagnosed with a rare and incurable uh, and um, very difficult to live with cancer that is known as cholangiocarcinoma, uh, which is a cancer of the bile duct and the bile ducts are located in the liver. And what they do over the course of time is that uh, usually people have about a year or so before this cancer kind of takes over. Uh, It goes from the bile duct to the liver, to the stomach, uh, to eventually affecting your brain and slowing down your heart and taking your life. Mm. Um, And um, what's incredible about this cancer is that it gives you some time to learn. It's a teaching cancer. Uh, 
Um, you know, there's those type of cancers that take your life very quickly. This cancer kind of gives you, in my estimation, a good amount of time, about a year, a year and a half, only God knows best, um, to really contemplate life and to, you know, uh, catch up on all of, all of those things that you may have missed out on and to ask forgiveness, seek forgiveness, um, and do some meaningful things. Um, and so um, I feel in many ways uh, grateful to have this particular type of cancer. I feel like it's a teaching cancer. Mm. Say more about that, but that's my description of what cholangiocarcinoma is. Mm. Interesting, because right before you got on this call, I was saying to Tom, um, you, are, you are such a natural teacher. Mm -hmm. your, your, your presence and, the, and your words are always strung together in a way that is, is teaching something, whether it's intellectually or, or from the heart. So that, that gift, um, as I've heard you say before, and some of your talks of, of the, the, the cancer of a teacher is kind of an incredible um, creation between you, you and God and how that, as some people have, will say, like co-created that together. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have questions, of course, but I also want to say, as soon as you came on the screen, there's just a, this really beautiful presence of, of joy and, and lightheartedness. And mm -hmm. it's what we have noticed when we, when we do talk to some people that have um, terminal diagnosis, they, they come with a very open, beautiful presence. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I have this feeling you've always kind of had that presence, but there's something about you now that's, that is like, like, man, I want to be sitting on that couch with you. You know, um, we did an opening meditation of like having, uh, tea or chai together or coffee or whatever we drink in, in some kind of cloud formation. But man, I, you know, I feel like I'm sitting there with you. I, again, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're so welcome. And I wish that that was possible. And maybe one day it will be, if not in this dimension, then in another dimension. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, what's interesting for me is that as a, as a Muslim, uh, you know, as somebody who uh, seeks to lovingly and willingly submit to the harmony of God. Uh, I have always had this idea that whatever God brings into my life, I should be content with it, right? And in fact, I named my daughter when she came into our lives through adoption, contentment, radiyah. Mm. The Arabic word radiyah means contentment. Mm. Um, and when I received this diagnosis, uh, the first words that came out of uh, my mouth and my wife's mouth was Alhamdulillah, which means praise be to mm. God, right? Because we wanted to express the fact that we've been given 40 years of life in which God has blessed us with enormous gifts and enormous opportunities to be able to do God's work and now this test has come upon us but it's a test that is not devoid of those 40 years 
of blessings that we've experienced. And then I thought that because I'm so content and I'm so ready, God must be uh, taking my life at any moment. In fact, I thought that perhaps I would go into the next realm very quickly. And it, hap it so happened that after my first chemo, something went wrong and I ended up in the hospital for uh, more than 10 days. And I was ready in the hospital to say goodbye. COVID had started. I couldn't see my family, but I used to talk to them on the phone and over video. And I said, I really think I'm going to die in the hospital and I won't, come, I won't, I won't be coming back home. But lo and behold, after some treatment, I got better and I came home and I was kind of surprised by that. And then I thought to myself, you know, if contentment is not enough, what else is God seeking from me before I can go to the next dimension? And it dawned upon me several months later that what God wanted from me and wants from me and the journey that I'm on is not just contentment, but a whole other next level, which is joy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in our Islamic spiritual tradition, when somebody dies, we say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, which means from God we come and to God we return. And if one profoundly thinks about this question as to who God is, uh, and they come to the answer that God is profound love, and they come to the answer that God is all-encompassing mercy and compassion and kindness, then what better invitation can one receive and what more joyous invitation can one receive than the invitation to come back from where you once came? Mm -hmm. But if, if my life's journey has, has, has brought me to a conclusion that God is merciless and that God is uh, devoid and that God is out to get me, uh, then this is the worst letter I could have ever received in my life. Right. So it all depends on how I conceive of God when I say, from God I come and to God I return. And as long as I have a very positive and beautiful opinion of God, then this invitation letter is one of joy, not one of great sadness. And so I think that's the question that I've been on. And that's kind of my 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 where, where I realize I am right now. Mm. I'm really curious about, I mean, it's so to hear you talk about that, my heart just splits open. And, and in some way, I'm like, yeah, just take me. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and yet there is also this human body and this ego that's fighting to be in this realm. And, and yeah, I'm curious if that's still, if you're still in that, in that pool or, or, or have you just completely surrendered to it? Yeah, no, I would say I'm still in that, I'm still in that pool, you know, and the reason for that is because there's too many things that I'm still lovingly attached to in this world. Um, and I don't think that that's a bad thing because it's a recognition of all that God has blessed me with, you know. And every time I think actually about the fact that I've had to now retire essentially 
from my university job, which I never saw as a job, but I saw as a calling to serve the next generation and to plant the seeds of goodness for what is to come in the future. Um, it makes me really, really sad. Like my heart is really heavy. Mm. But part of it is coming to this profound realization that even when God entrusts us with the most sacred duties, we are only temporary custodians of those things. And we're never meant to be permanent custodians of even the things that we love the most, including our own family, including my four-year-old daughter who is so precious to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can feel God, but God, I, I need more time. I thought that my role was to uh, really raise my daughter and to nurture her and to teach her wisdom every day. How could, how could you take me away from her when she's only four years old and she barely understands anything that I'm saying? Mm. But then I have to say, it's not about me, it's about God and God is doing this. And so maybe, maybe God knows that I can do something from another dimension for my daughter that I can't even do for her from this dimension, you know? So it's about having this loving trust of God that is also something that my heart is cultivating and developing uh, as I go through this struggle and through this pull. Um, but, you know, there's this uh, famous scholar in our Islamic tradition by the name of Imam al-Ghazali, and he writes a lot about death. And he has this 40-volume book that's called Revival of Faith. And in the last chapter, he talks about death and dying. And he says that when you first die, and this is his own philosophy, God knows if it's true. You know, he says, when you first die, you even miss your favorite shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and the other day I was ironing like my favorite shirt and I was like, oh man, I'm going to miss this shirt. This is, a nice <laughs> this is a nice white shirt that I wear on Fridays. You know? oh. and, 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 and I thought about that, but then he says something else, which is quite profound. He says that, you know, but it's similar to when the child comes into the world and they don't know where they've ended up and they are screaming their head off and they're crying and they're terrified of this new dimension called the world, you know. But then when they take to their mother's suckle, suddenly they calm down. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, this, this realm is actually not that bad. There's, there's beautiful things here. You know, and our, you know, my conception of the hereafter is that the angels do that for us. You know, we, we, uh -huh. we literally dance in peace with the angels. You know, the Quran says that when you enter this new dimension, the angels sing with you, salamun alaykum, you know, peace be upon you, right? Mm -hmm. So when you enter that realm, suddenly you don't miss your shirt so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the angel singing seems like a a nice uh, a nice way to give up the shirt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. I, I'm curious because because obviously faith and religion is so massive in your life, especially being a, a Muslim chaplain. <clears throat> Where? Part of me wants to say where that uh, where it comes from, but I'm not even so concerned about that. But like, where, how do you keep going back to having such faith and devotion 
and surrender that God is good. God is great. And this is all part of God's plan because yeah, I'll, I'll end it right there. I'm not even going to do the because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think the because is is self-explanatory because there's so much hardship and suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? And every single one of us have have been recipients of that. And anybody who cares about another human being and has looked into the eyes of a suffering person, let alone a suffering animal, uh or a suffering being, as we would say, would ask this question, how are we so confident that God is actually, you know, good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do we know that we're, we've come from a good God and going back to a good God? Um, and for me, um, of course, there's the experiences of my own life. Mm-hmm. But there, as a chaplain, there are the experiences of the lives of people that I've followed for a very long period of time, even up until after their death and seeing what happens to their families and what happens to their loved ones after death. And, you know, in too many cases, I've seen the dots being connected. You know, in too many cases, I've seen, ah, this is what God was unfolding the whole time, even though it looked like such hardship and even though it looked like such suffering and such deprivation at the time, at the moment, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that what has given me faith over over a period of time is patience and perseverance and allowing God's story to play out, you know. And that's happened too many times in my own life and in the lives of the loved ones and in the lives of the people that I've cared for as a chaplain. And then it's also not happened in too many lives as well but because it's happened in so many other lives, I, I trust. I trust. Mm. And, and this is where faith comes in. I trust that God did have a plan. And God's plan goes beyond this dimension. So if we are to judge God's actions only by the dimension of the earthly realm, I think we would come to the conclusion that you know, there is some evilness going on in God's decree, you know? But if we were to be able to see the entirety of the dimensions that exist and what happens next, you know, then I think that we would come to the conclusion that God is uh, a a good God. Um, And there's a very profound story that I won't go over fully uh, because it's very long. Um, In chapter number, 18 of the Quran that we as Muslims uh, often will, re- will, will recite. Um, and it's a story between Moses, the famous prophet, and Khidr, uh, who is his teacher. And it's actually a story that doesn't appear in the Torah. It appears only in the Quran, very mm. interestingly. And this uh, Moses finds this teacher by the name of Khidr, and says, you know, may I go on a journey with you to learn about knowledge that I don't have. And his teacher says, well, the only problem is that you won't have the patience. <laughs> you won't have the patience. He didn't condemn him. He just said, you won't have the patience. 
to be able to see what I see. Hmm. You know, and you'll get frustrated along the way. And Moses begs and pleads and he says, okay, fine, right? And he takes him on three very difficult journeys in which his teacher does something that is totally in his own eyes condemnable. And he's like, how could you do such a thing? You know, he puts a hole in the boat of a poor person. There's a child that is killed. There's a arrogant group of people whose wall is rebuilt for them for free. And Moses is just like, from this earthly dimension, none of this makes sense. So on the, after the third experience, when Moses protests, his teacher Khidr says, didn't I tell you, you won't have patience. At this point, our journey ends. But before it ends, let me give you an explanation of why I did these three things. And ostensibly, there is a, a, a good explanation as to why these things happen. And he says, I'm acting on behalf of God in this, from this other dimension. You know? mm-hmm. And so I think as Muslims, with the, 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 one of the core beliefs that we have is that there are these multi-dimensional realities, and you know that, that and we have to have faith in that. Um, and if if a person only has faith in the in, in 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 what's happening in the world, then definitely it's not something that is uh, submittable. You can't submit to that. Moses could not submit to that, but he could submit to uh, his teacher's understanding that there's this multi-dimensional reality. Hmm. That reminds me of this, I believe it's Rumi, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it sounds like it kind of comes from this story in a sense that there's, uh, I I think that it goes something like uh, uh, beyond beyond the realm of right and wrong, there is a field, Mm. and I'll I'll meet you there. Mm. Mm. What? Right? Yeah. 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 Mm. I, 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 I love that story. I've, I've, I heard you tell part of that, um, on a, a talk you did and part of me wonders about the, the, the teacher, right. In just in this particular time period where I, I'm not wanting to go so far down this road, but we we just see a massive abuse. And I, I just, because of the, the sort of time period where that's the only reason why I want to bring this up is we do see a lot of abuse from um, different teachers and power structures all across the aisle. And um, people using stories like that as like, as a way to to use their their power and or misuse their power. Say again. Or misabuse their power. Exactly. Yeah. And and so, I guess what I propose is we should all be like um, everyone should be more like Moses, right? And and you know, whereas our our teacher and maybe our teacher is not necessarily in in form because I think the form right now is. Um, complicated. No, so you're bringing up a, a very good point, which is that both Khidr 
the teacher of Moses and revelation altogether in the entire story never condemns Moses. It never says, Moses, why are you asking these questions? Shame on you. Hmm. You know, it just says you don't have the patience to deal with these questions because you're looking at everything from this one earthly dimension. Mm-hmm. You know? And it doesn't, it never actually condemns Moses because Moses is actually so so in the Islamic uh, tradition, we have this idea that there is sharia, which is this question of what is right and what is wrong in the earthly dimension, right? And then you have something that's known as haqiqa, reality, which is the reality behind the earthly dimension, which is what is right and wrong in the ultimate, in the ultimate reality, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, there's a whole other level, you know, tariqa, which is about what's right and wrong when people are in companionship with, with each other. Um, and so, uh, so you're right about that. And I think one of the things uh, as Muslims is that we believe in revelation. And so if, if Khidr said that I'm just doing this of my own accord, we would be like, no, you can't do that. You know, but right. when he says I'm doing this based on revelation, then there is an acceptance of that. Um, so, so, so doing things based on revelation and proving that you have the guidance of revelation is very important, hmm. uh, you know. And so that's where prophets and messengers come into the whole story. Gotcha. I'm, I'm curious because I'm hearing your time like uh, as a chaplain, and I'm sure sitting at the bedside of of many people who we're dying. <clears throat> and I, I've had a good amount of time sitting with people who are dying as, as a death doula and a hospice volunteer. And you know, I've shared this with Tom before um, off, offline, but there's a moment that I could hold someone's hand, and I believe anyone can do this, when you you even said when you look in the eyes of someone who's suffering or someone who's dying, you can hold their hands and you can just see them for an image of God or an image of love or soul or as a soul. And to me, that is one of the most intimate experiences you can have with someone. And to me, it's such an intimate experience that it's a way God can speak to us directly to the heart. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about your time as a chaplain and how it's perhaps prepared you for, for this time in your life. Yeah, I think it's such a beautiful question because, you know, to be honest with you, I have learned that no matter how many times you talk to someone about death and dying, and no matter how many times you hold the hand and look into the eyes of a person who is dying, you don't actually come to terms and you don't actually see your own mortality until you're going through it yourself. 
And there's something so escapable about death, which we all know is this inevitable reality, and that we all know that we're going to actually be in that exact same position at some point, at some moment in our lives, right? Like what's really interesting is that the Quran says, Kullu nafsin maut, which, mean, which doesn't mean that every soul shall die. It's not in the future tense. It says every soul is dying. Hmm. So we're actually in the process. We are actually in the process, all of us of dying. We're not going to die. We're actually all in the process of dying. Right, but uh, the interesting thing is that there's a veil over our eyes, in which we think that we're going to live forever. You know, and um, I think for me, what I've learned through this experience is that um, this veil is there because the soul does not want to fully come to terms with that reality because it's a very painful very difficult reality to come to terms with you know and you don't actually know what to do with it and this is why we have oftentimes unhealthy living patterns right and this is why we often as was said at the beginning beginning of the show sometimes uh, live ungraciously because we think we're going to live forever you know and then you come to this moment, you know, this realization that you too are actually part of this story, part of this journey of the soul transitioning to a whole other dimension, that you came from somewhere, that you are here temporarily, and that you're going somewhere next. And when you come to terms with that reality, I think something very, for me, something very profound happens, which is... Now the question, which is what is what does it mean to die graciously? Right? Mm -hmm. And what it means to die graciously is that when people said, You are such a gracious person, I don't want people to think that I was a gracious person before I received the diagnosis of illness and suffering. You know, I want to be, I want to try my heart to be gracious when I'm on intense morphine and in pain and coming out of surgery and still having the ability to ask the nurse, how was your day? <laughs> you know, um, and, 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 and to assume the, that the doctor had the best intention even when things may have gone wrong. Um, you know, and uh, when I wake my wife up at 3 a.m. Uh, to say thank you. I really appreciate what you're doing for me. Mm. I don't take it for granted that you're taking care of me. You know? Mm. And I think that living graciously when you're suffering is a much higher demand than living graciously when you're strong and seemingly in control of everything that you think you're in control of. Um, and so that's one of the first things that I decided that I was gonna try to die graciously. Um, and that when my eyes finally closed for the last moment, 
I hope that people don't say, thank God that experience is over. Mm-hmm. No, because this was a ter- miserable person to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, but they say, thank God that that experience is over because he was really suffering. But I loved him and I wish he was still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really, really sweet to hear. Mm-hmm. What's What's been one of the challenges to stay gracious over this past year? Pain. Yeah. And I think people don't understand pain until they have to go through it. Mm. I think. Yeah. As a society, mm. we have really let people down. Mm. Who say they have pain and we don't believe them. Mm-hmm. And we accuse people of wanting to go on an Oprah tri- tripper. <laughs> yeah. You know, we say, ah, you're just you're just not being patient enough. Mm-hmm. It's such a oppression that we do to people. And when I used to wake up in the middle of the night, crying out of pain, only my wife and my family would believe me. (sighs) And the doctors and nurses would always just say, you know, increase the morphine or whatever, but they would never give me all these other medicines that were available, you know? Mm. They just didn't believe me. Mm. And so being gracious through that Mm. and telling the nurse, listen, you don't understand. I really am in pain. Was really hard until I found the right palliative care team that finally believed me. Mm. I'm really glad that you are working with the palliative care team that is getting your back and listening to you and respecting where you're at because you're, you're right. You know, we can't understand someone else's pain. We can't, you know, and and we're talking about obviously physical pain. There's a whole other layer of emotional pain that is undeniable. Yeah. So there, there, there were, in fact, you know, all my life as a chaplain, you know, there's people who came to me with great anxiety and I could never fully empathize because I've never been through such pain in my life. Yeah. And I realized, you know, you asked me, one of the questions you asked me was about, you know, what I've learned as a chaplain. And I really feel so guilty about how, how much I didn't understand the relationship between anxiety and pain, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And as soon as my pain was managed much better, my anxiety was also managed much better because when I had great pain, it came with a lot of anxiety about what was going to happen. I, I kept saying, if, if this is what pain feels like right now, imagine when I'm actually, actually, actually on the brink of death, I will be like shouting out like a, like, like a wild hungry lion in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a forest, mm. you know, because this is unbearable. If this is unbearable, then what's that going to be like? So it gave me a lot of anxiety. And then it gave me anxiety about what would it be like to be in the grave by myself. And I just had really bad dreams and all of these things, you know, and it was all associated with pain, you know. Wow. And so having that experience, what do you want for yourself going into into those final moments as far as pain control, as far as screaming like a lion, you know, what, what do you wish for? Well, I hope people hear the story. I hope people hear what I'm saying. And I hope that doctors and nurses, you know, hear my words when I say that when people are saying that they're in pain, they're in pain, listen to them, believe them. Hmm. Don't think that they're making it up. Don't think that they're not being patient don't think that they're just trying to get an opioid fix you know mm -hmm. it's not it's not for you to judge any of that right you know? it's not for you to judge any of that you know you just have to believe what your patient is telling you mm -hmm. yeah wow I have, I have so much uh reverence for your bravery And I just want to be with that for a moment and just look you in the virtual eyes here and, and really feel that, that strength, that boldness that you have for, for committing to, to your voice, to your truth, to helping others even in your pain. Speak honestly. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I want to move on to something that um, I'm treading very carefully on this, and, and I want you to know that you can say no. I don't want to talk about this. Um, I'm really curious how much your daughter understands about what's going on and, and if she has any, what, what have your conversations been like? Yeah, those have been um, really uh, hard and at the same time, fantastical conversations, you know, um, because she's no, she calls me Abba. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she knows something has changed in Abba because, you know, a year ago, the way I used to play with her was, running around and being probably the most uh, active member of the family in terms of picking her up, you know, catching her, uh, you know, like trying to meet her energy where, where her energy was. That was kind of my role in the, in the, in the play, you know, 
that she had made up in her mind. And um, then suddenly things started to change and change pretty dramatically. And, you know, the pain just didn't allow me to, to do that. And now my body is so weakened that um, I'm barely able to do, you know, much in terms of, you know, physical play. And so a lot of it is just, well, yeah, come here, we'll, we'll read a book and we'll do this and that. And obviously that's not always the most appealing thing to a four-year-old kid who wants to jump, jump off of a building, right? <laughs> Um, and so the relationship has changed a lot, um, but it's changed also in some very beautiful ways because she really is now, you know, emerging as her daughter's mother, mm. uh, you know, uh, and what I mean by that is that she wants to do everything her mom is doing. So she sees her mom taking care of me. Uh, and she wants to take care of me in a very similar way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like when I'm coming, when I go down, it's very painful. And she'll always say, Abba, don't forget your cane, you know? Uh, and then when I'm coming back upstairs, she knows it's like climbing Mount Everest for me. And, and she comes running and she says, Abba, 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 I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And she grabs me by the finger, oh. and tries to drag me up the stairs much faster than I have the ability to, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, you know, she just has this really beautiful, caretaking, compassionate personality that is coming out at an age that probably wouldn't have if I weren't going through this experience, you know, mm. um, and that's something that for me is connecting the dots and it's God bringing something in her that it has always been there and bringing it out at a much younger age and bringing it out, I think, in a way that will impact her for the rest of her life, you know? Um, and, um, you know, she, uh, we, we proactively talked to her about the fact that Abba is dying. Um, and we, uh, you know, um, teach her these words that I had taught everyone earlier, which is that we come from God and to God we return. And we try to explain in her own language what that means. Part of what we say is that, you know, um, we're all trying to take care of Abba, but one day, it, one day we won't be able to take care of Abba and God, and he'll go back to God and God will take care of Abba. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're trying to teach her that our God is a caretaking God, you know, but he's the supreme caretaker because we're all trying our best but there's going to come a point where we can do it and so god is the supreme caretaker of every human being you know mm. um and so we're trying to teach her those things positively so she has a positive because we don't just want her to learn oh he's going back to god because she's going to say why why did why did god take her we want her to understand that this is god acting out of compassion mm. um and not out of um, you know, uh, wrath, you know, mm. or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the type of conversations that we're trying to have with her, you know. And anytime she asks a question, she herself, whenever we drive by uh, a graveyard, she asks uh, her mom, she always says, mom, what is that? You know, and we asked our friends, we said, do your children ask what a, what a graveyard is? And 
and and and most of our friends have said no they, they actually don't ask that question but there's something mm -hmm. in our daughter Radia she's she always asks mom what is that and we've now told her you know we've told her oh this is a place where people rest uh in order to go to god mm -hmm. uh, and so we want her to think of the graveyard as a positive place and we intentionally got a grave we, we intentionally bought a plot of land that's only five minutes away from our house um, so that uh, whenever my wife and my daughter want to go they can go and maybe you know just uh, put their hands in the grave yard play with the dirt a little bit uh, put some flowers uh, and feel like they have a connection to this place now it's going to be up to her whether she wants to have a connection to that place or not but at least we've we've done it such that it's close by uh, so that she can she can have that sort of physical connection to this uh, place if she wants to, you know. Um, so those are some of the things that come to mind. You know. um, Incredible to hear to hear that in in so much of this the podcast is we we are we're talking about death and dying to to make it less taboo and. You know, it starts with with our our children. You know, as I grew up, not really talking so much about death and dying, and you know, I I don't want to say I avoided it so much, um, but it just wasn't on my radar. Right. And thinking about your little girl going to visit you and like putting her hands in the dirt. And how how beautiful that connection is is to like have have that and have that be taught to her and shown to her in in a really positive way, instead of this other side of it is where death is morbid and we don't talk about it and we hide it and we sweep it under the rug. Where <laughs> I, I heard this. Shoot, I don't remember where I heard it from now. Oh, I think David Kessler was, was, was talking about this. He said, we come from a long line of people who've died. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's like such a, a part of us, like, don't talk, don't say the words. And I, I know even for myself to say these words, death and dying have, have been empowering. And <clears throat> one of the reasons Tom and I really like talking to people who are dying is because we want to empower that conversation. We want to empower you and to keep your, your voice and your teaching and your heart um, just as, as alive. Um, I'm curious, so much of, of your practice is graciousness and it sounds like you've probably have thought about this, but what what does it look like, or what is your vision for a really gracious death? Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a famous uh, story uh, in uh, that we that we often uh, in our poetry recite, uh, and it actually comes from a mixture of religious traditions. Um, but essentially, uh, the poet uh, says that, you know, the story of a righteous soul is 
very small, it's very short and can be summarized as such. That when they come out of their mother's wombs, they come out crying and everyone around them is happy. And when they go into their graves, they are happy and everyone around them is crying. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Wow. So that is the summary of a gracious life, you know? Yeah. Um, because when a child is born, you have so much hope in him or her that they will bring grace to the world. And there's that joy, there's that expectation, joyous. Uh, and then when they go, hopefully that realization was met. Um, and, and, and there's this deep sadness that they're now gone, but they're happy because they know they've done their work of living the gracious life. And now they're going to another dimension that wait, awaits them. Hmm. Yeah, so I think a lot about that. And that's my hope and dream. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Um, I'm I'm still feeling so curious about your daughter, and <laughs> I was wondering. Uh, <laughs> I I guess um, you know I have so so. I, I guess I have a personal connection to this as well as as my uh, my cousin. Um, he and his wife adopted two children. Uh, from Thailand and uh, just about a year and a half after it was actually less than a year after the second adoption was complete that she was diagnosed with late stage cancer and passed away mm -hmm. and um, you know um, so I, I connect very deeply with that story um, and, and what you're experiencing <clears throat> Um, I hope to meet her. Well, you will, and you'll share your stories. And, and hopefully, we'll be gazing from that other dimension, and 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 content with what God has decreed for us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And if if your daughter happened to come across this podcast as a 25 year old woman and she were listening to you and and you had something that you really wanted to share with her uh, as a 25 year old woman what would that be I think it would be that I'm still there mm. you know um, I don't exist in the way that Perhaps I would like to exist in her life and maybe she doesn't exist in my life the way she would want me to exist in her life. But there's this spiritual connection. There's, you know, our meeting is not a meeting of the physical being, but our meeting is of the spiritual beings, you know. And, um, you know, I think it's not something that I'm just saying out of fantasy or out of faith. Um, but it's something that I've seen in people's lives that they see their loved ones in dreams much more intensely, you know, after they've passed. My own mother, her, her, her mother died when, when, when she was only four years old. 
And so my mom is now almost 70 and she talks about her mom all the time and this connection that she had with her mom and also the sadness about not having that connection in the physical world, but still feeling her, experiencing her, seeing her in dreams, um, looking forward to seeing her in the afterlife. You know, so I've experienced that growing up, you know, that there is that connection. It's not, it's not cut off by death, you know. Um, and, um, you know, I think I want her to also know that beyond me, there is this loving, gracious God who is never going to abandon her, you know. Um, and that that God is the company of that God, you know, the, the having that relationship with that God uh, is what's going to bring her the greatest joy, even beyond the joy of knowing me or meeting me or knowing her mother and meeting her mother, you know. And so to know that above every love, there's a greater love and that greatest love is God. You know, God is love. Mm. Um, and so I hope that she goes on that journey that I talked about, which is from God we come and to God is our return. But who is God? Because if she comes to the answer that God is all loving, all merciful, compassionate, kind, as I have, you know, then she will be excited to, to be with this God in this life and in the next life. And that will be her ultimate joy. And it's not that she won't look forward to meeting me, but she knows that it's through that God that she will experience my love and my presence because God is that, 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 that loving light from which all other love comes from, all other love returns to. You know? um, and so we see love through the light of lo the loving God, you know. Um, so I really hope that she has, above everything, this relationship with this God, uh, as I have had in my own life. Um, and that she's not angry at God for what has happened. Because it's so easy to be angry at God for what has happened. But my hope is that she sees Ultimately, she has to go on her own journey. I know she has to go on her own journey. It's not just going to happen, but ultimately, I hope that she goes on that journey and she comes out with some very profound and beautiful conclusions, you know, about who God is. Incredible. What an honor to spend this hour with you. It's my honor. Your joy is contagious. Your radiance is enormous. Your graciousness is, I want to touch your feet and, you know, squeeze your hands. <laughs> um, really really thank you for your time, your, your generosity. Mm. We ask if um, you want to share a poem or prose or, I mean, you've already shared so much. I mean, I'm sitting here just, you know, baking in 
the intellect that you carry, but speaking from a place of the heart and experience and really transmitting love. Um, And the, I want to say thank you, not only for us, but for all the people you've served as, as chaplain. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you for, for your work in your community. I know how important that is um, down in Princeton and, and, and on, you know, you, you, like I said, your radiance is, is massive. And I, I think you know that, but the humility in you may want me to stop, but I, I need to say that, you know, I've, I see people coming online and, and, and talking and, and receiving and commenting on, on things that you've posted. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you have any last sort of prose or poetry or something you want to share with us uh, before we, we end, um, we'd love to hear that too. You know, um, I can't think of a particular poem or prose, but I just do want to say that, which is a realization that I've come to, which is that, you know, um, God sends us to the world in order to do beautiful works. And he places a landmine in front of us in order to do those beautiful works every single day to take care of our parents, to embrace our loved ones, to plant a tree, and you know, the list goes on and on. But the question is whether we are going to do it with sincerity and with a loving heart, or whether we're going to do it, you know, grudgingly, um, or we're going to do it with Um, something that makes us feel like it's an obligation rather than an opportunity. And uh, what I've learned from my life uh, is that uh, living life graciously means living life as if life is an opportunity, not an obligation. Mm. Um, And I wish I had done more of that, you know, and that's, you know, those are kind of my parting words of advice is to live life as an opportunity and not an obligation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm shocked that it's been an hour. It's just flown by and I would keep going. It's so wonderful. Um, thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you. I, I hope that um, we can connect again, like you said, either here or level up. <laughs> um, if if uh, if you're having visitors at any time, um, yeah, I would love to even sit with you in silence if you wanted to and. Um, and just be with you. We'll connect. We'll connect. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Beautiful. Have a wonderful uh, rest of your day. May it be in peace and 
and joy with your family. Send your love to our family, please. Send send our love to your family, please. And yeah, thank thank your family for so much for for your time. Yeah, thank you so thank much, you. brother. I love you so much. Take good care. Take good care of my brothers. All right. Thank All you. Right. Bye. Bye.